Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. This morning, we're happy to have our own, our brother Bill Lumsden, uh, who's going to be bringing to us what the Lord has laid on his heart. Brother, brother Bill. Good morning. Recently, after the election, I found myself kind of disappointed with the outcome and wondered about the Lord's decision to allow a new course of future events. And that reminded me of two sets of brothers who apparently also seemed somewhat concerned about future events of their time. They were Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, his brother. I was giving some thought to this subject a couple of months ago uh, when um, Frankie gave his uh, talk and uh, I'd done a little preparation but then I, and I decided, well, maybe I'd better change the subject. And then as I thought about it, I realized that Frankie's uh, message was a little more political than mine. And mine would simply be historical facts and uh, prophecy. And so I decided to continue with the thought. And I hope that you might receive some encouragement from it. <clears throat> so that you can know in advance, I always hate it when someone preaches and uh, and halfway through it, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's his point? <laughs> so I thought maybe I'd just better give you my point so that you wouldn't have to go through that process. It's simply this. God is in control, and he has a plan. Although it may not be what we expected, it surely will be better than we expected. And so with that in mind... I'm wondering, what should our response be? As I mentioned, James and John, together with Peter and Andrew, were concerned with a comment that the Lord had made uh, about the temple, which was soon to be in ruins. One of the Lord's disciples had commented to him about their beautiful temple, and, the Lord, uh, and that prompted the Lord to give them a glimpse into the future. And we can read about that in Mark chapter 13. So let's turn to Mark chapter 13. And we'll read verses 1 and 2. And as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be cast down. That had to be a little astonishing and troubling to them to think that these great edifices, the beautiful temple that they were so proud of, would one day be destroyed. So naturally they're wondering, well, when's that going to happen? Apparently the brothers and the Lord were sitting across the 
Kidron Valley on the Mount of Olives, casually talking about uh, various things and looking over at the city and admiring the temple, which they could see from where they were sitting. If you've ever been there, you know that from the Mount of Olives, you can look over and see the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. So one of them spoke up and uh, asked the question that they'd all been thinking about. Do you remember the comment that you made while we were over at the temple? You said that someday it would be completely destroyed. The city would completely be destroyed. When's that going to happen? Let's read verses 3 and 4. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Is it going to happen soon, or is it a long way off? He answers their question in a rather unusual way. He begins by saying, don't let anyone deceive you. After I'm gone, others will claim to be me and give you all kinds of false information but I'm telling you the truth. This is what is going to happen and when. Then he begins to tell them of troubling times ahead, wars, rumors, rumors of wars, national wars, earthquakes, famine, and more. Let's read verses 5 through 9. And Jesus answering them begins to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and shall deceive many. And when, you shall see here, when we sh and when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows, but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to the councils and to the synagogues, you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony against them. Now let's read verse 10. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Let's turn over to Matthew, and we'll read that same account in Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, then shall the end come. Notice that the Lord isn't talking about the gospel of grace. He's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. That was the gospel that was proclaimed by John the Baptist, the kingdom and the king preached 
by John was rejected. We need to be aware that the gospel that will be preached throughout the world is the kingdom gospel and not the gospel of God's grace which is being preached today. So he still must be exercised to spread the gospel of God's grace to the world because there's no promise that all the world will hear it before the Lord returns. We should also note that our actions of those today and those living in the Lord's day may delay God's plan as they did with the kingdom gospel. But they can never cancel his plan. So one day the kingdom gospel will be preached throughout the world as the Lord stated that it would. During that end time, the Lord will have servants that will proclaim his kingdom gospel and they'll do a better job than we have done with the gospel of grace. Some feel it'll be the 144,000 Jews this work, who will do this work. However, the, however, there's no real indication that they will be used in this manner. In any event, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world to all nations for a witness. And then the end can come. As we've noted, Matthew gives his account of these things in chapter 24. But he goes a little further by mentioning Daniel's prophecy. Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are two great prophetic chapters in the Bible. In the Bible. However, the rapture of the church is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament, and it's not mentioned in the Gospels either, except only in John and only briefly there. It's the event of the Lord's second coming that's recorded. It's also interesting to note that neither Matthew, Mark, nor John records the Lord's answer to these two brothers relative to the timing of the temple destruction. It's only found in Luke, Luke chapter 21. So let's turn there and find out when that's going to happen. Luke chapter 21, and we'll read verses 22 and 23, 20 and 21. Well, we'll read all of those verses, 20, 20 to 23. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. In other words, get out of Jerusalem. Don't, usually you'd go into the city for safety. He's, the Lord is saying, get out of Jerusalem, for these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them which give suck in those days, 
for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. There are two major destructions of Jerusalem. There are signs accompanying both of them. The sign of the first one in 70 AD is told here. The Lord is telling them when it will happen by telling them what to look for. It's when Jerusalem will be encompassed by armies. And we've just read that in Luke 21. Jerusalem will be encompassed by armies. The sign of the second one is in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 21. Let's read those verses. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 to 21. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, standing in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is in the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe be unto them that with child that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight not be in winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as the world hath not seen since the beginning of the world, to this time, nor ever shall be. The destruction of Jerusalem and, in fact, Israel during the end time is completely different. There the sign is the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place or in the temple spoken of by Daniel, the prophet. The first one appeared, happened, just as the Lord had predicted some 35 years after his statement when the Romans under General Titus sacked Jerusalem. You know, we've heard about that. And that was no small skirmish. According to the first century historian Josephus, it lasted the better part of six months. He states that about a million Jews were killed and another 97,000 taken captive. And many were crucified. The Romans decided to, to crucify a number of these Jews outside the walls so that those looking on would uh, understand that the, the problems that would occur and, and perhaps give up the, uh, the battle instead of continuing the conflict. Six months they besieged Jerusalem. The resulting famine got so bad that women were killing and eating their children. With that in mind, I want to turn back for a moment to, De to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The Jews had just finished their trek through the wilderness of 28, or rather of, uh, 
40 years, and we're just getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses is giving them some instructions. He's telling them, I, I give before you blessings and cursings, and it's up to you to choose. Look at verse 4 of, uh, of uh, chapter 28. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of the, of the ground and the fruit of thy cattle, increase of thy kind and flocks and sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and store. Blessed sh shalt thou be when thou comest in and blessed thou shalt be when thou goest out. So he's saying, I'm set before you blessings and cursings. I want you to choose. You're going into the land now. You can be blessed or you can be cursed. If you obey what God has told you, you'll be blessed. Look over in verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed because thou hearkenest not to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. <clears throat> Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of things. <clears throat> now let's, uh, let's drop down to verse 45. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou knowest not, shall not understand. Now let's drop down to verse 52. And he, this nation, shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down, wherein thou trusted throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Interesting that Moses is giving this information to him. Look, you can be blessed or you can be cursed. And this is the way you're going to be cursed if you don't follow the Lord's command. Let's drop down to 53. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straitness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. The next couple of verses, I won't bother to read, it tells about how a very gentle man won't share with his wife the flesh of his own children, and how a very tender woman won't share the flesh of her children with her husband. What a terrible time that had to be for the, for the Jews. I understand the soldiers had been told to spare the temple. However, they were like other mob violences. When destruction becomes rampant and continues for a long period of time, the temple was destroyed. It was a terrible time for the Jews. They were being slaughtered like dogs. You know, I thought about that. I thought about the blessings and cursing that Moses was trying to portray or give them to understand would be the result. And I think, and I thought about 
the United States, how God has blessed this country. And if God could allow such calamity to come upon his chosen people, I wonder where America stands. Well, although several of the disciples, Philip, Matthew, as well as Stephen and Paul, were martyred prior to 70 A.D., and there, as I can figure, all of these brothers, with the exception of James, lived to see or at least hear about these terrible times in 70 A.D. Andrew may have been in Asia. John in the area of the seven churches. Peter perhaps in Italy. But I'm sure they knew what was happening and remembered how the Lord had told them about it. Now back to Matthew chapter 24. The view here is of the end time. I want to start with verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso weeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Jerusalem flee to the mountains. Let him which is in the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Neither let him that is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe are there them that with child in those days. But pray that your flight not be in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. This is the second half of that great and terrible time that will happen at the end time, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, nor to this time, nor ever shall be. That terrible time in 70 AD was just a bump in the road compared to what will take place in the end time. At the beginning of the Age of Grace, which began with the Lord's resurrection, and since that time, the Jews have been put on the sidetrack. However, when the last person is saved and the church is taken to heaven, the Jews will be back on the mainstream. This is told about in the book of Daniel. Let's turn there for a moment and read uh, Daniel chapter uh, um, Nine and uh, verse twenty-four. Seventy weeks are determined are determined upon thy people and upon thy on the holy city to finish the aggression, to make an end of sins, and to make conciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Daniel's been reading the book of Jeremiah, obviously, and he understood that the 70 years of desolation that was, uh, or the Jewish captivity, uh, have finally run their course and been completed, and so he begins to pray. 
And while he's praying, the angel Gabriel arrives with information relating to God's plan for Daniel's people. And he tells him that 70 weeks are going to be determined for the Jewish people. And we know that the 70 weeks are weeks of years by what happened in subsequent verses. So 70 weeks or 77s, 490 years, have been determined upon the Jewish people to bring up all of the things that are going to happen in verse uh, 20, on verse uh, 24 here. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make re reconciling, reconciliation for iniquity, to seal up the vision prophecy, all prophecy fulfilled, and the, uh, not the most holy or the millennial temple. A review of chapter 9 in Daniel lets us know that these 69 weeks or 483 years are now history. It's that 70th week that's still future, and that week will complete the age of law. You see those 70 weeks or 490 years that were accomplished, that were to be accomplished on God's chosen people were all during the age of law and 483 years were accomplished before the crucifixion of our Lord. And his crucifixion interrupted that age of law and the age of grace began. The age of grace has now run over 2,000 years and we, know of, we have no way of knowing when it'll end. But when it does, that final week of law will begin. That final week determined on the Jewish people or the people of Daniel will be seven years of tribulation and as the Bible calls it, the time of Jacob's trouble. Fourteen of the twenty-two chapters in the book of Revelation is dedicated to this terrible time. It's during that time, that last half of that seven-year period, that the Jews again are almost eliminated. Revelation verse 8 of chapter 6 tells us that a quarter of the world's population will be destroyed. And then verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 18 tells us that a third of those that are left will be destroyed. The population of the world today is about 7.8 billion. If 10 or 15 percent are taken out at the rapture, that leaves about three billion people, or one of every two people, are going to be killed during that terrible time. Fortunately, we're not going to be here. Perhaps it would be well to turn at this point to Revelation chapter 21, just so that we don't get completely overwhelmed with what is going to happen. Revelation chapter 21. And I want to read verses 3 and 4. The rapture of the church occurs, has occurred, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them 
and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. What's my point in bringing all of this to you? It's simply this. God has a plan. It would be difficult to have gone through all of the scriptures that we have this morning and what we've reviewed without recognizing that God indeed has a plan. It's also interesting to note that it will not be altered and in fact, much of it has already been accomplished. <coughs> we didn't take time to review that part of the plan <coughs> that uh, is covered in Revelation chapter, 20, chapter 4, the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church. That's going to be a very exciting part for those of us that have found the Lord Jesus as personal Savior. <clears throat> well, let's draw it all together. The Lord drew back the curtain and allowed Peter, Andrew, James, and John to get a glimpse of the future. And he's also given us a peek into what will happen in our world <coughs> at some future date. He's allowed us to know that the world will experience some difficult times, but in the final analysis, his loved ones will all be well. Prior to the last election, conservative Christians seemed to feel that things were going very well. We didn't agree with everything, a lot of things we didn't agree with, but several conservative judges had been appointed. Immigration seemed to be going in the right way, employment was up, and Christian leaders seemed to be given some consideration, and it even looked like we might reverse Roe versus Wade. Something happened. We found ourselves in a position to murmur a little bit. We need to recognize that murmuring is simply telling God that we feel he may have gotten it wrong. And our approach could be better, although we know that's not true. The better approach would be to simply recognize that God has a plan that will not be altered, and to look forward with, an, with anticipation and excitement for each new turn of events. Sometimes it's hard to do that, but it's not only the better way, it's the right way. I want to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2 for a moment, just to add a couple of things here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights of the world. We're living in a crooked and perverse world. However, God's at work in our world, 
and indeed in every one of us, to do what he desires and to help us be lights in a dark world. A number of years ago, a rather important visitor visited a deaf-mute school. And during his visit, he asked a question which was conveyed in writing. Why do you suppose God has permitted you to be so strangely and sadly afflicted? He was taken back with the answer which came rather quickly, also in writing, which said, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Those words were originally uttered by the Lord and are recorded in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. So our comments for every turn of events can and should be, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Whatever he does is so important. <clears throat> All of this has been giving you a general idea of what's going to happen and that God has a plan. But I want to end up with something that might be interesting a little bit. To those of you who have never found, if there is anyone here who's never found the Savior as Lord, I also hadn't given my heart to the Lord many years ago. In fact, I was 12 years old. And mother and dad took me to the gospel service. We had one every Sunday night. And the preacher was talking about something. I can't remember what it was, but I remember this. He said, what would you do if the Lord comes at 9 o'clock tonight? The service was over at 9 o'clock. This was probably about 8.30. And I sat there in a cold sweat. I was convinced that the Lord was going to come at 9 o'clock. As a 12-year-old young man, I thought, what am I going to do? At 12 o'clock, sure as the world, the Lord's going to come. And I'm going to be left. I'm going to be left. Not only am I going to be left, I'm going to go through that terrible time that I've just told you about. That was Mother's Day. <clears throat> Fortunately, 9 o'clock came and passed, and I breathed a sigh of relief. The next day at home <clears throat> by my bed, I knelt down and asked the Lord to come into my life. <clears throat> you can do that right here. You can do it anytime, any place. Just say, Lord, save me. He'll do it. He'll do the rest. Let him come into your life. There are a number of hymns, and I know it's over time, but a lot of hymns that I've heard kind of relate to this message. One of them is, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. I wonder if we could just sing the last verse of that hymn. It's 289, as I recall. We don't need the piano. Let's just sing it as we consider... Two two ninety eight. What did I say? Two ninety eight. Two two uh, two ninety eight. Have thine own way, Lord. <clears throat> Just the last verse. 
Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all can see Christ only always living with me. Let's pray. Father, our world is indeed a crooked place. And we desire your control in our lives. So help us to realize that murmuring, murmuring produces nothing except discontent in ourselves and others. May we look forward then with transformed and renewed minds so that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May it be so. For thy name's sake we pray. In the matchless name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.